Hey, you got Frank from Snipers Hide, and you're listening to the Everyday Sniper. And today I have an interview going on with one half of the winning team of the 2019 Snipers Hide Cup. I got Adam Cloninger in here, and we're going to go into his background, into shooting, talk about his training, what he did to shoot the match. Honestly, you guys, to be honest, I don't think your heartbeat ever went over like, you know, sleeping heartbeat you guys look so smooth when i was watching it but uh thanks for coming on the podcast adam and uh say hi to everybody out there hey no problem frank it's a pleasure to be on here and uh yeah this is my first podcast so take it easy on me oh no problem man yeah like i said uh, congratulations uh with you and nick winning the uh sniper's hide cup uh, it was honestly, and then I'm not blowing smoke, man. It was pretty impressive to watch you guys go through at least my stage, um, you know. Uh, so I wanted to bring you on. And, well, you kind of said, hey, man, what about me? We, it was funny because uh, I was talking with Phil and had Phil on right after the uh, match. And you jumped in and said, hey, when's my turn? And I'm like, hey, how about when I get back from my trips? And, <laughs> you know, did you expect that I was going to actually, like, agree to it or anything? <laughs> No, actually, I was just, you know, kind of giving you some crap, and then you turned around and was like, oh, let's do it. And I was like, crap, Adam, you talked yourself into a corner again. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'll go gentle on you, man. It's pretty easy. Uh, you know, no big deal at all as far as, uh, you know, the, the podcast goes. So, like, let's jump into it, and, and, and we'll take this in almost chronological order. Tell everybody out there, like, what got you into precision rifle shooting? What got you interested in the competitions? And then I guess you can bring us all the way to partnering with Nick and doing the team matches that are uh, pretty common in the Pacific Northwest where you're located. And and just give us a little history, a little background on on who's Adam. Well, I I guess I'd say the thing that really kind of got me going into it was uh, hunting. And... I, I know you've been over here, Frank, but a lot of people haven't. And we, we, we have a lot of rolling wheat fields and uh, like eyebrows and stuff with trees in them. And it's really hard to sneak up on deer. And I just figured, you know, if I could just learn how to shoot farther, then uh, I'd be a more successful hunter. And um, so that's kind of what originally uh, started it. But my my family farms. And I pretty much grew up on a farm over here in Eastern Washington. And, and basically since the time I was about five, I had a gun in my hand. So nice. Uh, that was, that was a real um, start was, was my dad getting me into it. And there was a, like a long period there where like I'd be out at the farm and I was like too young, to, like really be of help. And I just like get in the way and, Dad would just like give me a box of 22 ammo and be like, go shoot stuff. You know? <laughs> nice. So, the yeah. East Coast people are all jealous right now. Everybody on the eastern side of the, of the country are like, damn, man, I live in a city. That don't work for me. Yeah, I, I don't know how you guys do it. I couldn't handle living in a city. Like The town, town I grew up in, it's like, you know, 2,000 people. Oh, wow. And, uh, so, and, and I don't know. Like, we're super competitive, too. Like, you might have seen, like, a little bit of rivalry between me and Carl Taylor every once in a while on, on Facebook. But Carl Taylor's from Pomeroy, and he uh, 
they're they're big rivals like my grandpa was kicking their butt like 50 years ago and my dad after him and then i got the luxury of doing that too but it, it, like, like in school sports stuff yeah it, it, it's age old you nice. know <laughs> like three four generations of families going to the same school always competing against each other you know and these small towns there's nothing other to do other than you know work and do sports so and then morphing that rivalry into the shooting sports and you got how far away are you from like colville uh colville and where carl is uh, about three hours oh okay um, the, they're about two hours north of spokane two and a half i'm an hour south of spokane gotcha um, 60 miles and nick lives in spokane Spokane Valley, it's about an hour, 15 minutes, you know, from my house to his. But amazingly, he lives, like, pretty close, but we actually don't shoot that much together. No, because Carl was saying at the match that, like, Nick uses his stuff quite a bit and comes around his area and shoots, uh, you know, almost like that Colville or his house area or something. Or is it that, I know Carl's got more than one property. Is it that property or a different property? So Carl has, like... I want to say like five different locations that you can shoot matches on. Mm-hmm. Like the the place where we shot the sniper side cup, I haven't shot on that piece of property in two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, like the day one where all the tripods on the hill uh, it, it shooting out of the trees and stuff. Yep. Um, last time I shot that was the sniper side cup two years ago. In, 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 yeah, totally. And last year we didn't even shoot that side. Yeah. You know, cause we, we were, we kind of alternate by going across the street one year and then the next year we don't. And then the following year mm-hmm. we'll go back across the street. Um, I mm-hmm. like that other side property, but somebody, you know, people complain about the walk up and down the hills sometime. Mm, I mean, people are going to complain about <laughs> what you do. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. So now what, what, who brought you in or what got you into? Cause I mean, the Pacific Northwest has always had a pretty robust shooting community, but what got you into like the PRS, NRL, RTC type of competition? Was it any specific match? Was it, go ahead. I'd have to say, uh, Doug Glorfield put started up a range, right? And it's a Rock Lake shoot rifle range. And I actually didn't know anything about this sport until they posted an article on the Rock Lake rifle range in the local Gazette. And I read about it, and it was the first match that he put on. And I went to the second match that he put on, and then I just started meeting people, and the sport just grew, and... And but no, it was basically Doug Glorfield starting the starting that range. And I just read about it in the paper, and I was like, "Oh, I'm gonna go do that." <laughs> nice. Yeah, Doug but, does a lot. He I remember because uh, before I did the whole you know on scout off scout kind of deal, uh, you guys had a pretty good section on all those uh, Washington competitions, and Doug was pretty big into posting all the stuff uh, pretty early on. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that- I, think, I think for the most part, most of the match directors in, in this state get together and they kind of hash out a, a schedule and pretty much anybody can, they, they'll come out with a schedule basically of all the matches. I mean, there's some controversies in there, but 
there's some big matches that, you know, everybody works around too. Like most, most of the club matches work around the national level matches and, and the car stutter match is the biggest match of the year up here. Mm-hmm. Like and, um, and, and Clint pretty much, I think has to say when that's going to be, but it's all pretty much always around the same time. So and we're, then, we're pretty fortunate with the number of competitions that are up here. Yeah. And early on the, the big one was the, the, the Finley cup there. Mm-hmm. And, and did you ever shoot one of those when Jim was still around? No, I, I didn't. Um, I kind of wish I would have, but when I first got into this, um, you know, I was kind of light on funds. Didn't have a whole lot of money. Like I, uh, I shot a Remington 700 and seven rem mag and I, I, I built it myself. Um, cause I didn't, didn't really know any good gunsmiths. Didn't really, you know, right. I right. Kinda, I mean, you, but ran, you took the route. Most people, you, you run what you brung, right? I mean, that's, that's yeah. what you had and that's what, you know, you, that was the rifle that was in your hand. So you started out shooting the matches, uh, just basically with the rifle that was in your in in your house, you know, without yeah. having anything special put together, which you, you see a lot more people do today than they did, you know, back a couple years ago. Yeah, like I don't, I there's this like common trend that you got to have a super dialed rifle to do well, and uh, it's kind of true, but it's kind of not. I think. I think for one, you have to progress as a shooter to be able to prove your rifle wrong before you need to upgrade, you know, like, no, totally. That's a great way of putting it. And that's a great point, man. I I, I like the way you phrase that, you know, to, to prove the rifle wrong now. And I mean, how do you know if you're, if you're not experienced or good enough to know why you're missing, you know? Yeah. And, and a lot of that takes, I think just, a lot of practice, a lot of rounds down range and, you know, and also someone else to tell you, Hey, you're messing up, you know? And then you also got to be humble enough to sit back and be like, yeah, you know, I think you're right. And, uh, that's, that's one good thing about me and Nick is, uh, we're, we're really honest with each other. I don't have a problem telling him when he's wrong and he doesn't have a problem telling me when, when I'm wrong. And, uh, we kind of have a mutual respect for each other about that but we also know what each other are capable of. So we don't really question each other a whole lot. And I think that's, that's a big team dynamic issue that a lot of teams have is, is their teammate. They're, they're always questioning each other on, you know, in, in, did you do the right thing? Right. And I noticed that even in the match there, you know, cause our own and stuff, you get to see every team come through and you see which teams have conflicts, which teams don't sort of designate somebody who takes point on any specific stage. I mean, do you guys look at a stage and say, you know, who's, who, do you guys have a hierarchy or is it basically just, you know, you both look at it and say, I'm going to go left. I'm you're going to go right. Or it, how does that work with each other? As far as that pre-stage communication or even pre-match. Well, since I shoot left-handed, I mean, I'm not left-handed. I'm left-eye dominant, so I shoot left-handed. Okay. Um, but, and Nick shoots right-handed. Almost always he'll lay on the left-hand side and I'll lay on the right-hand side so that we can get, we can get our rifles as close to each other as, as possible. 
Um, and I think that aids in a lot of things. It aids in communication because when you're like, you know, a foot and a half apart from each other, you don't have to talk real loud. You don't have to, you know, there's not right. a lot of misinformation. And uh, <clears throat> then all of our brass is in a nice little pile and we just pick it all up. <laughs> yeah, right in the middle, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, but and, uh, you guys were, it was, you came up, you looked at what the stage was. I pointed out the targets. And it was pretty simple. Like I was, you were one of the only teams that even that w- had any success in prone, you know. But mm-hmm. you had you had the, the the taller sky pod, so it was a high prone. Um, but the only other there was one junior team who the kid shot prone, and he actually shot it like right by the stake, which I was surprised he even found it uh, to get over the hump. But um. He was the only other one who went to prone and actually was able to get it from the prone next mm-hmm. to you guys. Well, hmm. oh, Nick shot it prone. I shot it kneeling off the tripod. Right, right. Um, I knew my tripod wasn't tall enough. I, th- I might have shot the middle one prone. Now that I think about it, I think I did. Yeah, you guys but- both shot the middle and then you had a transition uh, because of the way the ground went. Uh, and Nick did have the taller. He had the uh, the extension on the sky pods. Yeah, yeah. He's he's got a couple of those sky pods, and they're pretty sweet. I need I need to get one of those. Um, you know, that I think the sky pod. You know, it's almost like a must have for a field match, especially up there where there's tall grass and stuff this late in the spring. Um, other than that, like a tripod. Yeah, you you need a tripod at Carl's place. Oh, for sure, for sure. But like I said, you guys were, uh, I mean, the communication wasn't, it it wasn't like, it was super efficient, I guess is the best way. You weren't throwing in a lot of, no, why don't we try this? There wasn't a whole lot of debate. Basically, the first decisions you guys made, you went with, and they Mm -hmm. totally worked out. Uh, I mean, I know Mm -hmm. you guys got experience in that area, uh, and you understand the grass gets tall. You got to get over it. You know, the, the, the there's a little bit, uh, there, there is the potential for that little bit of defilade because the ground might rise up in front of you a little bit. So you got to get off your belly on top of the grass being tall, you know, so it, it didn't mm-hmm. seem like you guys, there were some teams, honestly, that just struggled with my stage. And it was so weird that as big as those targets were, nobody cleaned it. Yeah. Well, this this is how I kind of looked at it, and it's like you got to shoot target one standing, and there's there's no way around that, you know. Like you set up your tripod, you got to shoot through this loophole in the trees, and there's really not a good way for two people to get in there. So, you know, spotting for the first guy is kind of tough, and and Nick shot first on that stage. And I spotted with my binos and basically we just looked at it. You know, we spent what half a minute, minute, maybe looking at the targets before it was our turn to shoot and just kind of look and see which way the wind's going and see where you got to be and, and come up with a plan and be like, Hey, this is, you know, Nick will be like, Hey, let's, I think it's like, you know, half mil to center off the left. Right. And most of the time, our analysis on the win lines up, 
Like, it, it's not very often where I'm like, well, I think we should hold left. And he's like, I think we should hold right. Right, right. Like, it's that's doesn't happen very often. But every once in a while it does. And then sometimes we meet in the middle and we just go, oh, we're going to hold center. You know? And yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we did have people on the, the first day was a little trickier on my stage in the wind, especially in the afternoon. The wind was mm-hmm. super deceptive to people because it, it, in a way they thought it was coming behind, like where I was standing by the truck in that sort of driver's corner of the truck. I was, it almost mm-hmm. felt like it was coming behind me. And so guys weren't, but what it was doing was sort of snaking around that hill. And like you said, it was coming from the left. Mm-hmm. And most people didn't feel it that strong because, you know, with those trees, those hills, you get caught in a little bit of a wind shadow. And then on that downside where it kind of cuts in for uh, coming off the water there and cutting across on target, especially target um, one and two, you know, mm-hmm. it was definitely left to right. And then I think you might have went like closer to center on three um, for you, for when you guys were shooting it. But it was it was amazing how many people, even though they can feel kind of a little bit of a stronger wind, were still just like their their strategy was edge of plate, you know, and throwing away that first three point hit. Well, throwing away a first round impact is, I mean, it's just part of the game, you know, but. What really makes a difference, I think, is if you saw where it went, you know. Right. And if and if you didn't, if you didn't pull a good shot in the first place, then you know you probably shouldn't even have shot. Because if you yank one or you're in a bad position, you send one out there, and then you didn't see where it went, and you didn't have a good, good steady position where you, you know, you can comfortably tell yourself that was a good shot that I just pulled. You know, if that doesn't happen and you don't see it, well, now you just lost three points and you didn't learn anything. Right. You didn't gain any knowledge with it. Like, I'm a firm believer that if you were to go out and you're going to shoot any match in the country and you miss the first shot on every stage, saw your impact, corrected, and hit the next nine shots, you'd probably win every match you went to. No, well, probably. Yeah, for sure. If you, if you only missed the first, <laughs> definitely, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that's for sure that could happen. And, and it's good to kind of gauge that info, but you know, with both you guys, the way you work and everything, you, you are able to spot and see, cause one of you is gaining information. And, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, you, you're using that, that data from those stages to help populate the other stages, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and that's that's true. You know, like, imagine going to a, a square range like back east or something, and on the first stage you figure out what the wind is doing. And it's like, well, sweet, I got my wind call for the day. And basically you shoot that until it changes. Right. And at that point, you're not really looking for wind or anything, but Carl has a fantastic ability to make you question things. <laughs> No, for sure. Like he'll he'll make you shoot from a spot across the canyon through a bunch of wind that you can't see into some trees off a crappy position, and you'll be going back to the zero line after day one, wondering, well, how come you didn't hit anything? You know, which like a match like Carl's, 
it's a fantastic rifle match, and I think anybody should go to them because they'll make you better. Even if you go there and you suck, like you'll become a better shooter shooting there. Yeah, for sure. But also what Carl does is they're not real high hit percentage matches, you know, and sometimes you got to go and, you know, you do crappy on some stages, but you have to keep the mental focus of, you know, okay, we had a bad stage, but we got to keep going. You know, I see a lot of people have a bad stage and they get inside their own head and then they have another bad stage right after that. And then it just continues to spiral down and down and then demoralizing. Yeah. And then they get to a point where, you know, they can't recover or out of the game, you know? Oh, that's what you guys were even talking about. Um, and and you were kind of laughing with each other at the end of it, how, uh, Nick missed some 300 yard target, like three times. And, you know, you were like, what the hell's going on, dude? Well, there was a, there's a stage on, was it the A side, the side with the swamp? Mm-hmm. Stage nineteen, I want to say, it's, down there. You're, you're on the side of this forty-five degree hillside, shooting, standing off a tripod, and you know you're shooting through trees. And I'm sitting there spotting with my binos, and Nick goes off the right, and he goes off the left, and he goes sends one high, and I just like, dude, is that those little tiny uh, plates? They're almost like smaller than a sheet of paper that kind of face a little bit all different ways. There's like three of them really low to the ground at the edge. No. It wasn't that stage because I know when I set those up, those ones bother me all the time. Yeah, those 25% Ipsix that Carl has. Yeah, something like that. No, well, it was the first one on that stage. It was like a 66%er. It was huge. Oh, like, wow. It was like a- it was like the size of my front door. Nick missed it three times, and I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I missed it once, too. But um, Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, but, that's a great that's that's a great way to show it, that here are the guys who won the match, you know, are, are recovering from missing a 300-yard shot on a pretty big plate. And and you, you it, it's staying that your mental game is to the point where, you, like you said, it's not demoralizing you. There's a stage, I laugh about it all the time here. That, well, we have um, a local match at Pawnee up here, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a monthly. And mm-hmm. on the, in the third section, like the C section or whatever, it's, it's like the farthest target. They, have, they call it a cold bore, but it, it, depending where you are on that day, it, it might not be a cold bore for you. But it's, it's mm-hmm. a small plate. It's like a four or five-inch plate at 300 yards. I've never hit it. Hey, you want to hear a story about demoralization? (laughs) Yes, tell us. I went down to Butch Foster's uh, in Oklahoma, shot the Oklahoma NRL match down there, right? And he had this, like, little target at about 250 yards. It was about the size of a Copenhagen can. And it was the first, first stage of the day. And I lay down there, and I just center punched this thing. And I leaned back. I'm like, yep, today's going to be a good day. You know, I proceeded to miss 33 shots in a row. Oh, my God. (laughs) After that. And I finished the match at seventh place. Wow. That sounds like a hard match, man. (laughs) Yeah, it's a tough match. Like there's a lot of 
there's a lot of mm, big name shooters i'd say that don't really like to go there because butch will have you like lay down prone and you'd be like here you go one bag one bipod you shoot prone all day you know mm-hmm. and and it, it's just tough shooting tough wins and like there were, there were times down there where i'm looking at this 300 yard target i'm like hey what should i hold for wind and i was like oh, i'll hold like seven tenths on the right edge right miss see my trace disappear off into some trees like no i need to be holding like one two to center you know like yeah, just yeah. insane amount of wind and uh, you know that's like stuff up here that we don't get too often every once in a while we do but the the that match was pretty demoralizing after day one i was like you know 33 shots in a row you're starting to question a lot of things you know, right. Looking at your and, scope, looking at equipment, looking at your dope. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is my dope wrong? Is my scope broken? Are my rings loose? Are my action screws come loose or this or that? You know, like, am I, is my scope tracking? You know, is, am I using the right ballistic profile? Like all kinds of stuff like that. But that's even happened on team matches for Nick and I too, at the car setter twice. Me and Nick, cause like a stage is worth 48 points, right? Mm-hmm. And so we take 24 shots total, 12 a piece. Well, me and Nick would lay down, we'd shoot, do whatever, and we'd get off the stage and they'd tell us our score, and we're like, yeah, you got seven points, you know, total. Yeah, yeah. And, and that happened twice. And it's like, Nick, like we shot 24 shots downrange, both of us, and we only somehow managed to get seven points out of it, you know, like, and, and that's, that's pretty taxing, you know, when that happens, when, when, you, when you're in a running to try and win, you know? Oh, for sure. And, and you guys have been doing pretty well this season, haven't you, as far as your finishes? I don't know. I mean, it, it sounded like that just from the buzz going around there, but I don't know how many, you know, I'm not stalking you to know how many matches you're shooting. Um, but well, it, it did sound like you guys were doing pretty well this year. Yeah, we did pretty well last year, too. Um, I mean, we... We've shot four team matches this year, and we've won all four of them. But I think comprised as a whole, out of all the team matches Nick and I have shot, we've only not won three of them. Okay. And I, I think we've shot about a dozen or maybe more. One of them was the first match we ever shot, we got second place. Um, we got second at the car setter last year. Oh, well, and we got second at the Sniper Side Cup two years ago. Yep. And uh, I was wrong. There was four matches. Uh, Valier, Montana, uh, Chaz's match, we ended up getting like fourth or something. He had a uh, uh, cold bore shot at like, it was like 970 or something, and it was worth 30 points a shot. Oh, my God. So, uh <clears throat> Nick lays down there, shoots, boom, off the right, and I lay down there, and boom, off the left, and oh, there we are, sixty points in the hole. Oh you know? man, that's that's a but, higher count, man. That's that's that we used back in the day. We used to do the hundred point stages, and guys mm-hmm. used to get pissed because you know you you do a cold bore shot at like six and change, and a guy get a hundred points, and then you mm-hmm. do five shots at a thousand, and mm-hmm. you know they'll hit the first one, and you know. And they get their, uh, what do you call it, 20 points, and then they'll miss, like, the last two. 
in in or won and not get as many points as that one cold bore shot because there's the five, so they do twenty twenty twenty, or mm-hmm. you know, or twenty four, um, yeah, twenty, and and then that one cold bore is worth just as much as five out of thousand, and got, and that's when the the point, the point of values started changing, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody was tired. It was too hard to come out of a deficit from those low round stages versus like the high round stages where you just didn't, it didn't balance out correctly to make up the points that you might've lost. So then everybody started asking for, you know, changes in the point values and stuff. So I could totally sympathize with you on a, on a 60 point cold bore, man, that friggin' or 30 point, whatever that totally can wreck your day when you can go out and shoot, you know, five shots at a 500-yard target and, and get a lot more points than that. Well, I mean, that's that's just how it is sometimes, you know. I mean. Yep, yep. So um, that's a, I know, not that I'm like looking to get into your secret sauce or anything as if there is a secret sauce, but tell everybody what some of like your, how you guys train, some of the drills you might do. Like uh, how often a week are you practicing? And you know, it it, are you, it it sounds like you're practicing separate in a lot more uh, a lot more than you do practice together. But uh, just kind of go through some basics. Like I said, you don't have to get down into you know we do seven shots at this target. Five. You could just say we do forty shots a day. However you want to do it. Um, I actually don't practice that much to be honest with you. Um, and, and I guess it would be, what is your definition of practice? Like practicing off a of barricade, shooting, um, you know, like dry fire or something. I don't dry fire at all. Okay. Like, um, yeah, I just, I don't do it. Um, I don't know why. I just, I'm always in my reloading room, reloading ammo and stuff, but I shoot on the weekends quite a bit. Shoot matches quite a bit, but mainly I just do load development, you know, cause I, we, sh- we both shoot, uh, six forty seven. Okay. And, uh, we both shoot Nosler RDF bullets. And, uh, like at, at your, at the sniper's hide cup, we shot a 115 RDFs. And, um, normally I shoot like one Oh five RDFs. And I was kind of like mad at Nick. Cause he was like, Hey, you know, let's shoot one fifteens this match. And I was like, dude, one Oh five shoot just great. And, now I got to go back and redevelop a whole load like two days before the match. Okay. So now I'm going out to my, out to the shop and I'm like trying to throw it out my barrel because I don't have enough free board for the 115s. And then, so I do all that and I load them up and shoot. And the first 10 shots were just about three eighths of an inch at a hundred. But my practice regimen is typically groups at a hundred prone. And I know a lot of people will probably disagree with this, but my thoughts are if you can't shoot a good group prone, then you have no business getting up off the ground, you know? Um, Cause you got, you gotta, you gotta be able to like shoot a group and then you have a flyer and then you look at that flyer and you go, well, why, why did that one go out? What did I do wrong? You know, was it, in my load development, was it my bullets? Was it my cases? Was it my powder? Was it, um, 
you know, my position, did my sandbag collapse? It was my bipod screwed up. Did I have my parallax screwed up? You know, like in, in by flyer, I do. And, and I'm going to assume this and you can correct me uh, by flyer. I'm guessing with your load development, especially with a 647 is accurate as that round is. Are you saying like they're all not in one hole kind of thing? And maybe that flyer is like, you know, a quarter of an inch outside of what would normally be the group. Would you consider that the flyer? Or do you mean like you have a three eighths inch group and one gets thrown to like five eighths or something? Um, for a 10 shot group, a good rifle should be able to put 10 shots thrown off of like an Atlas bipod with a rear bag. You should be able to do like 10 and a, and a half inch or under. Okay. Um, like I got, I finally broke the three tenths mark, um, this year, but I've been hanging around like the four tenths of an inch for quite a while, but like five and under half or 10 and under half an inch is you're doing everything right. You know, they say like three proves the rifle and five proves the rifle and the shooter, you know? Yep. Yep. That is the mantra. So, well, I figure you shoot on average, you shoot 10 rounds a stage, right? So I think you should shoot 10 shot groups. There you go. So, and then that way you kind of get like a good analysis of, you know, what's going on. Cause it, let, let's say you shoot a four shot group or a three shot group and you stack two of them right in there. And one of them went out, you know, like maybe three quarters of an inch. And you're like, well, what happened there? And you're like, I don't know. But if you shoot 10 and they're just ding, 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 right in the center and you throw one of them out well, you're like, Hey, I got a 90% hit ratio at like quarter MOA. So if I could shoot that good at distance, um, my rifle ain't holding me back, you know? Right, right. So that almost becomes like your error budget. Then you're kind of looking at that where, Hey, in this current combination that I'm shooting, if I'm if I'm nine out of ten, you know you're yeah. saying I got a ninety percent hit probability, and uh, now what's the what's the cadence in which you're shooting that ten shot group? Are you just basically shooting, recycling the bolt, and you know lining up shooting, or are you taking a pause between the shots? What's what's your timing look like for a ten shot prone group? Oh, about ten minutes. Oh, okay. So you're shooting a, 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 a slow fire then? Okay. Yeah pretty slow fire but um 10 minutes sometimes five you know but i i love 10 shot groups because because especially for reloading like say you're shooting long and then you have one that closes a little hard and then you shoot and it flies out you know and you're kind of like huh what happened there well that then you should probably go back to the bench and be like well how come this case closed hard and the other ones didn't and you go back and kind of start reverse engineering what happened you know yep yep i kind of i kind of noticed that i did the same thing this past weekend i just got back last night from tennessee and i i was doing a class in uh down there outside of nashville and so the first day of the class when we're doing the groundwork at 100 and everything and uh the, the, the range uh, that I was at that tread proof had some of these really cool targets they make. They're kind of um, anatomically correct, and but they have areas around it for groups and, you know, one-inch circles with three-inch around mm-hmm. and squares. 
And so what I did is um, I brought my rifle. I brought the uh, the Valkyrie on the Origin that I put together. And so mm-hmm. I started when, when the students were shooting their groups, I was shooting the groups alongside them from the standing off my tripod. Mm-hmm. And so I was basically just practicing those tripod groups and I had my I had the Valkyrie shooting between half minute and three eighths off the tripod from the standing because I mean there's just no recoil to it yeah and I was I was super psyched with that and I liked the idea of doing that 100 yard groundwork and because I mean for me with the basic class the first day almost three quarter of it is at 100 and Mm -hmm. um you know so doing that groundwork with them I basically just said, well, let, let me take my groundwork from my prone, which I was doing alongside guys, to the tripod because it's there. You know, I, I'm, I'm setting up my spotter. I have everything there. I demo stuff with my rifle and show them what I'm expecting. So I, I do see a lot of merit in a, a very good 100-yard game. And I think I'm going to play around with the 10-shot group because, you know, I, a lot of times I get lazy myself because of video you know Mm -hmm. most of the time when i'm out there filming shit nobody wants to sit and watch me do a five shot group or ten so i'll do a lot of threes on video you know of course i do five standard for pretty much everything i'm doing but i just never got into doing more because it was like nobody wants to watch a guy shoot prone for 10 shots no it's boring right i mean and sometimes it's boring for the person doing it too like you know go down there and you look through your scope and there's a bunch of heat waves and boils coming up and you're like, well, this isn't going to end well today. Yeah, exactly. But no, I definitely can see merit in that philosophy. I mean, if you think about what you're doing, it's almost what like an F an F class guy would practice a competition where he would shoot the course of fire just to see what it will do. Of course, you know, they're doing it on paper and all that, but why mm-hmm. wouldn't you shoot, you know, you like you exactly like you said, stages are 10 shots. So why wouldn't I shoot 10 shots? Because I know I'm going to be doing that on Saturday. Well, and, and I, that that's just what I do. I mean, I see a lot of other people out there. They're like, well, you know, I don't want to burn up the barrel. And I'm like, well, you know, they make more barrels every day. You can call Benchmark. They'll mail you one, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All you got to do is give them some money. And, and uh, I find shooting groups is pretty therapeutical for me because um, it's just kind of my own thing. I kind of zone out and forget about all my problems for those like little times, you know, and uh, maybe that's why I do it a little bit more. I know Nick is kind of a group fanatic too. Like we've actually talked about going and shooting some bench rest, building a bench rest gun to go try it out. And then, and then we talked to, people who do bench rest and they're like, no, don't do that. You'll be bored. But, um, but it's and just, he shoots a lot of other stuff way. though. His, cause he films some of his stuff and puts it online. He, he does shoot barricade. And, um, I saw, I think he has a tank trap one and, and a couple oh, yeah. of other, right. So he definitely does a little bit more beyond that. Yeah, no, he has a whole training class, uh, thing that you can buy as like a new shooter, the precision rifle competition tips. Oh, okay. You know, and, and they got, he's, he's got his own Facebook page and stuff. And, and, you know, there's a lot of merit to what he does. Like Nick doesn't practice stupid things, you know, like, like I own a spinner and I actually need to go practice on it. Cause spinner has been kicking my butt lately, but 
I don't go out and just like shoot out, shoot out a spinner and shoot out a mover and you know, a lot of stuff like that. And I, I probably should more, but I don't really know how to practice off of, you know, shooting off a wobbly T post. I know Nick does and he's like good at it, but I just look at him in a team match and I go, Hey bud, take it easy on me. Cause this isn't going to end well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but, that, that, that's, that's, but the, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of playing to your strengths and working on your weaknesses and knowing, and, and knowing what works for you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Nick, Nick's good at everything really. Like he's, he's good. at pretty much any type of rifle shooting you want him to do, he's good at it. And it's because he practices so much and there's really no way around it. Like you want to become a good shot. You just got to shoot a lot. You know, you can go read all these different things of people like, oh, I do this and I drink this before I go to bed at night. And <laughs> I, I just don't believe a lot of it. But I mean, there's some I've heard in, 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 you know, just not to kind of get, but just in it's in your area. But I mean, I've heard people say that there's guys that are like in your area where everybody's downstairs in a hotel bar having a drink and there's a couple guys upstairs in their room dry firing off a chair um yeah i couldn't tell you about that because normally i'm the guy down in the bar having a drink me too (laughs) (laughs) but i i think that's more common than you think and i think a lot of that comes back to the mental aspect of it is if that's part of your daily regime and that's your like Zen time where, you know, you come together, then that's, then that's probably beneficial for you. If you catch me dry firing in my hotel room, I'm freaked out. Okay. (laughs) I'm trying to, I'm trying to correct some issue that I'm having because it just, that won't happen. I mean, it, it, it sounds to me in, 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 you know, we're kind of dancing around this, but if, if you know, your load's good, if you know, your rifle's doing its job, your scope's tracking your main focus from that point forward is the mental side of this game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta bring solid gear, you know, um, like I run a zero, a ZCO zero compromise optic five to 27. Yep. And this is something like a lot of people didn't know, or like, I haven't told that many people about it, but when I got that scope, I've had such a bad record of breaking scopes. Like I almost lost, I lost an ELR match because my scope broke on me. And then I had a scope break on me on the car setter last year. And basically I busted like every scope known to man. So I called Jeff Huber and I was like, Jeff, I, I just bought your scope. If I break it, will you fix it? And he goes, yes. And I go, okay. So it was like middle of January. And I went out there and like the, my whole yard was, uh, my driveway was just like a sheet of ice. And I just, I put that scope on my most accurate rifle that I had. I zeroed it. And then I just proceeded to drop it <laughs> on its scope from about head height with a 16 pound rifle on it. I dropped that thing 20 times. And then I laid down and shot a group with it. And my first shot that I shot was like two inches to the right. And I was like, Oh crap. And 
then I shot the other nine shots and it was just like, ding, 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 all dead center of this target. Right. So I go back and I look at my phone cause I recorded it. Well, my first shot, my entire muzzle brake was just stuffed full of snow. Ah, and, uh, and I was like, you know, but I had that like dying thought in my head right there on that first shot. I was like, no, I just broke a $3,600 rifle scope, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I tested that at home, you know, and that, and this was before I even started running the ZCO in competition. I tested that scope at home and make sure that it worked. You know, I tested tracking, I put it underwater, shot groups upon groups, dropped it, you know, beat the crap out of it, did things that like people would look at a rifle scope and be like, Ugh, I can't believe you're doing that, you know? And uh, I, I was very abusive to it. And then, then I, I was like, all right, well, this scope's good to go, you know? So I put it on my rifle and went in the first match I shot with it, I won. So nice. And that was the club match. And then me and Nick had a team match. We won that. And we had another team match. We won that. And then there was like JC Steel, uh, NRL, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and Nick won that. I got six out of like 130 shooters. And as as far as I can tell, you know, that scopes money, you know, and I, I test things like my rifle. I so, Some of them need bedded. Some of them don't, you know. I run a defiance action and I know you're an AI guy, but, but I love my defiance actions. Yeah. I, I have a couple. I mean, I go back for my gaps and stuff. I'm a defiance fan, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I do run AIs, but lately just out of for dollar. Cause I haven't been begging for anything or doing stuff like that. So I've been buying a lot of the stuff like the barreled actions for, uh, I just put together, speaking of the ZCO, I just put my mm-hmm. five to 27 on, um, I got the McMillan stock, that new short one, the A10 with the little grip that's a half inch closer. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had a barreled action done for that. And um, I've been doing Origins just because they're only $800, you know. And and so it's just it's just one of those things where I'm not going to companies and going, hey, I'm Frank, I want something. And, you know, I've just been walking in a mile high and saying, hey, do do a barreled action for me because I got this chassis came in. I mean, I have a TL3 one right here that's going back into the uh, MDT ACC. And mm-hmm. then I'm getting one. As soon as I'm done with this trip, I'll be doing all the videos on that stuff. But um, mm-hmm. th- that ZCO is on my, my Valkyrie. The Valkyrie, when I was shooting down in Tennessee, I have the 4 to 20 on that. And I love the 4 to 20. I like the reticle. I like the dot. And you know, the whole thing. And, and just the picture is beautiful in the scope. And like you said, it, it, it's, it's as reliable as you're going to get. So I'm 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 primary now on the ZCO. My AIs are definitely like the go-to rifle, but they're they're not. You know what I mean? It, it, it's a weird kind of thing with me. I do them with training and I do a lot of stuff, but sometimes uh, just because my shoulder mainly being jacked up, the, the AIs will tend to get a little heavy on me. So then I can go with something lighter. And and I know there's advantage to the heavier rifle but not carrying well, it, you know, I, that that's, that's a whole nother subject right there is heavy rifles. Um, I'm not a real big fan of a heavy rifle personally. Like my, my match rifle that I shoot comes in at like 17 and a half ish somewhere in there, depending what I have on it. Yeah. At any point. But I, 
you'll never catch me lugging a 25 pound rifle around, you know, unless it's a ELR match and it's a 375 shade tag. Right, right. Well, I mean, and you think about it, when you go down to like where I think that kind of took off a little bit more so is down in the southeast there where, you know, they're only walking 20 feet from the parking lot. And, you know, where you guys are shooting in the northwest, most of your stuff, it's a good two or three mile walk, if not more, on any given event. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I use my rifles for more than just, you know, shooting steel. I hunt with them as well. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just personally, I, I see like people like bolting all these weights on their rifle. And personally, I think it's a crutch. And basically, they're just trying to, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, the, the, the McMillan is right around 13. The Valkyrie's right in that same 13 zone. To me, that 12, I mean, the best, one of the best matches I've ever shot is when uh, Gardner made me the six Creed more, and it came in at ten seven with a Schmidt and Bender on it. Yeah, no, I, I just, I mean, we're shooting like a six forty seven, and we're shooting like one fifteens at twenty nine hundred, or, you know, like yep. There's there's not a lot of recoil there, and uh, you know, and then I watch my girlfriend go down and shoot like. She's got a like a sixteen pound six five Creedmoor, and uh, well, she's actually my fiance, but uh, and she's shooting like one forties, and I'm sitting there watching that recoil. And I'm like, man, how does she do that? But she does it. And I I think learning with a hard recoiling rifle can definitely teach you some good things because that's that's what I shot. I shot seven rem mag with one sixty eight grain VLDs going like thirty one hundred. You know, and then Doug Gorefield was like, hey, Adam, you can't bring that rifle anymore because you're breaking all my targets. <laughs> so then I had to then I had to build a 6547. I was like, well, you know, it'd be really cool if we made a 647. So Paul, me and me and Paul and Nick kind of spearheaded that one um, thing that I really like about the 647 is it, it's kind of like nobody's cartridge, but everybody's cartridge like nobody can really like lay claim to it like the 6gt or the 65 creed more right right and and i tell people all the time that, that you know the best way to use a 6547 is to turn it into a 647 i think that's the smartest way to utilize that case oh man i don't know like with the 2547 with those blackjack bullets like that would be a good route if if that yeah just not i'm not chasing that that's too wildcat for me <laughs> and then there's a. Uh, but like the six five forty seven just set like a new thousand yard record, you know, it was like one point three inches at a thousand five shots or something. Was ridiculous. it? I have to look that up, my because I I honestly it it bores me. Mark shoots it up in Alaska. Taylor there, he's a six five forty seven. Mm-hmm. I have one. My mousing field's a six five forty seven. Mm-hmm. In that configuration, it bores the snot out of me. Oh, it's it's yeah, no, it's boring. Like it's just. You shoot and it's the same speed, you know, like 2850, 2851, 2850. And then it's just retarded. Well, that's retarded. my problem. I don't reload it. So my shit's all way slow. It's like my my 6547, because I'm using Lapua factory ammo, it's lucky to be like 27, 27, 25. 
Oh, really? Yeah, the factory Lapu is really slow, and I just haven't gotten it because it's the only rifle I have in that caliber. I, I, I don't have any desire to have it reloaded. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. Lapu's stuff is super accurate. It's just the muzzle velocity is like 150 feet per second too slow. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of that way with all factory ammo, isn't it? Uh, yeah, some of them are like I said. Now, like the new, um, the the new uh, Peterson is up there. You, they're one forties, twenty eight fifty out of a twenty four inch. So, you, like mm-hmm. that, that's pretty darn good for factory one forties. Uh, the Prime is. Uh, I usually can get out of most of my Bartland barrels. I'm usually in the twenty nines with the one thirty. So. Yeah, you could. I think you can push about yeah twenty nine hundred with a one thirty. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. I wouldn't travel to a match with something going that fast. Like you get on a plane, then you get there. You're like you fly down to Texas, and then the storm. Well, this is factory, so I don't have any pressure stuff. That's pretty normal. What I get out of um, my Bartlands with it, because I'm doing the left hand gain twist, so I don't mm-hmm. get the I don't get the pressure signs, but I'll get some good speeds out of it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't see any pressure issues, but that's pretty typical for me to be right around that that 2880, 2890 to 2900 with factory prime. Um, so that you know that to me that's not a that, that's not hot at all, and um, you know I do pretty well with it. I just wish somebody made 647 ammo, then I could take a break from reloading every once in a while. Totally. I'm with you on that, man. If there was somebody that did factory 647, I'd be all over it. I I, I would too. Yeah. I think it's a good caliber. But no, I think, you know, and really like, let's say bring this back to the new shooter aspect of it, of, you know, you don't have to have a custom rifle. doesn't have to be 647. It doesn't have to be 6547 or anything. You know, I think just, actually learning how to shoot your rifle before you, you know, progress into, well, I need this cause it'll make me do better. And then I need that cause it'll make me do better. I think, I think most people, you know, and there's a lot of really good shooters these days, but I think most people need to get to the point where they can be like, this piece of equipment is holding me back. Right. Right. You know? I agree. Like I remember three years ago, you shot. You had the sniper side cup up in Colville, mm-hmm. and and Nick won it, and I got sixth, I believe. And uh, it, I shot that match, and I showed up with my six five forty seven shooting one thirties, and it was like a used gun that I had bought from somebody. And it wasn't like really a whole long custom built, and the only piece of gear I had was a duct tape bag that I had made out of like a Ziploc bag and some sand that I stole out of the park. And, uh, I wrapped it up with duct tape and that's what I shot the whole match with was that my rifle and my bipod. And, and I see a lot of people today being like, well, I need a tripod. Then I need the most expensive rangefinder. Then I need this and I need that. And I need the, g7 or i need a kestrel and i need all this stuff but 
And then, they, really, and they, right, and then they can't, they, they don't press the trigger right, or they're not following through, they're yeah. not, right, they're not practicing. I, I agree. I tell people, hey, man, go buy, go buy that rifle, even if it's an RPR kind of thing, or a, you know, Teak Attack A1, or, you know, go buy the Sniper's Hide APO rifle, shoot 2,000 rounds and learn on it before you start investing in gear, then yeah. re- replace the barrel, you know, and then go to town. Yeah, and, and it's, Cool that you say that because there's a lot of rifles that you can buy really good rifles right now for under two thousand bucks. Right. That are fantastic. Like there's a bunch of people making rifles like that. Yeah, I mean you got and, the bad rock in your area, you know, you got the T mm-hmm. the TAC A one's eighteen, the bad rock's nineteen, our, the APO is nineteen, you know, the Patriot Valley Hancock's nineteen. You know, there's a lot of really decent sticks for sub two thousand that guys can jump into this with. And you can, you know, you don't need to buy all this stuff. Like, go to a match. Bring your rifle. Bring your ammo. Bring, like, a bipod. That's all you need. You don't know the range? Ask somebody in your squad. They'll probably let you borrow their rangefinder. If not, they're a dick. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when it comes to new shooters, this is what I really love about this sport, is new shooters, we tend to, like, take care of them. You know, yes, like, we do. And you're right. We absolutely do. I mean, because you know, you know what it is, especially because you know nobody, they're not a threat. So nobody cares. Yeah. Well, and and even then, I mean, it's like, yeah, you don't, you don't have a $800 Kestrel. Yeah. Well, you know what? I don't either. You know, and, and that stands true to this day. I don't own a Kestrel or any unit to measure the wind with, which I don't know. I guess I've made it this long without one. I, so I probably just not going to buy one. Um, well, and you have experience for how many years of shooting. Plus, like you said, there's enough people there with their Kestrel in the air. You can, you you can walk by, you know, a dozen people and say, what'd you get? What'd you get? What'd you get? And they'll be like, Oh, it's six. Oh, it's four. Oh, it's eight. You know? Well, I don't know. I don't even go off that. I just look at it through my binos. I see how much my Mirage is laying down. Like what's the wind doing out there? Like mm-hmm. what what the wind is doing where I'm at doesn't really matter. You know, it's what's going on out there and I can't measure that anyway. So I just, you know, me and Nick have, we've gone through a lot of things. You know, we've gone through different range finders, different scopes, different, you know, tripods. And, you know, we see like a lot of people like hanging on the back end of a tripod, doing their tripod hanging. I'm not a fan of that. If, if I catch my kids doing that, I'll probably beat them. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I just, I I don't think gear is the answer. Okay. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, the most important part of a shooter is the shooter. It's not the rifle. Like, we've gone to matches and our, our rifle is just like hammering on the zero line. You know, then we get go back home and, we won the match and we get back home. Well, how was your rifle shooting? I was like, well, mine was shooting about inch and a half, two inches at a hundred yards. Oh, when it's all done, you mean? Yeah. When it's all done. And then Nick's is like the same way. And so I don't think, I, I don't even think a real accurate rifle is that critical. It's just, well, but there to... is, you got to look at it. I mean, it, the, the 308s can't hang, you know what I mean? So there is a little bit in the gear kind of side of it because you're, you're, you are competing with race guns. So mm-hmm. if you, if you, you know, if you go to shoot against a, a, a Vibbert kind of guy 
and you got a uh, you got a 308, as good as you are, you're probably not going to keep up. But if you're in the same ballpark as him, then it's between you and him. Yeah, to a certain extent, I think, you know, but if you give Vibbert a 308 and then you shoot like a six super whatever, no wind, like. Right, and you and you it, suck. You're not gonna. It's not gonna help you. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I think. You know, like, I mean, and Vibbert's a good shot. You know, and he has his own like training regime and stuff. You know, and he says, "Oh, I don't practice." No, that guy practices. Dude, that's lot. all he does is practice. Who's he yeah. fooling? <laughs> that's all he does. You know, and uh, I'm I'm I didn't buy into that. Oh, I don't practice, but. No, Vibbert's a good shot, but there's there's a lot of good shots. And as this sport continues to grow, I think a lot of the 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 old guys who are like high and mighty up on the totem pole, you know, are, are gonna get knocked down more and more. And and I, one of the biggest things that I like to see in this sport is watching somebody who's come and worked really hard and struggled and struggled and struggled and struggled and overcame this adversary and this and that. And the next thing you know, they show up to a match and they do really good and they win it, you know, and you see the look on their face where they're just like stoked, you know? Yep. Like like I watched Hank Favich do that at a match over in Wyoming a couple weeks ago and like look on his face. I was like, Oh, that's priceless, man. You know, like I love that. I, I love watching people succeed that, put in their effort, you know, and it's something that they're passionate about, you know, like it wouldn't be, this sport wouldn't be any fun to me if I wasn't passionate about it. For sure, man. I'm still excited about all that stuff. You know, I still like going on and and doing it every day. You know, when I get up in the class, there's still some nerves there, you know, and it's not old hand and it's like, Oh, I got to do well for these guys. You know, the only thing I, there's, there are times like I, I'm double-edged on the on the match side of it anymore because if if I go and have a crappy day, then the whole world's going to talk about it, you know. And if I go have a good day, it's it's you know there's always an excuse why I had a good day, you know. So yeah. to me, that kind of burnt me out a little bit because the social media side of it, you know, you can't you can't win for losing kind of thing. But yeah. yeah, I'm still excited to go do it. it. You know, if I can, for me, it's a way to go there. And it is my Zen moment or, you know, it's my little bubble. I can get in there and enjoy myself, socialize, have fun. I mean, that's why for those years, I like shooting with the little kids, you know, because mm-hmm. I can sit there and let them shoot it and take as much time as they need. And if they only give me a minute left, I don't care. Yeah. And, and that is a huge thing that I like about, you know, the Rifleman's Team Challenge, you know, Clint's, Clint's own series here. Mm-hmm. And. What's cool about that is, is me and Nick can show up. We're gonna be like, "Hey, Dorgan and Sky are gonna be here this weekend. We need to like, we need to do good. Otherwise, they're gonna kick our butt, you know, you know." Or Seth Bergley's gonna showing up, or Cardarelli, or one of those guys, you know, or John Pinch and Jake Vibbert teamed up, and they're gonna, you know, if we don't have our A game together, they're gonna whoop our butt. Right. But also on the same token, you see like father son teams out there, you know, you see. Annie and Eric Miller shooting with their daughters. Yep. You know, and and you see two old guys that can barely see just like they just want to go and have a good time. You know, and everybody's kind of doing their own little 
you know, like. Yeah, you got Matt Sawa and Trig with him and, you know, all that. And and do I expect Trig to come up and be like, hey, Adam, you suck today. And I was like, yeah, you're right, I did. (laughs) But, like, um, you know, it's just, it's so cool that it's so diverse, you know. And, And I think that is one of the biggest things that helps grow the sport. You know, like Carl and Clint are probably two of the most, like, selfless people I've ever met. You know, and sure. they they go over and beyond to help people out and put these matches on. Like Carl puts on a match, you know, probably once a month. At least. You know, and, and sometimes there's only 12 people there. But he doesn't look at it and be like, well, you know, I ain't making any money off this, so I'm going to quit doing it. Well, and that's like, the mindset. That's the the guys who don't look at it as a revenue generation, but you know something mm-hmm. else. And then there's the guys who look at it like, well, I want what he has and give me more. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, definitely that, makes sense. And I I think as long as we can keep people like like Carl and Clint, you know, um, putting matches on. This, this sport will do really good, I think. Like, you go to the car stutter, and there's, like, 200 people there. And I bet 100 of them you've never seen at a match before. Right, right. And that, to me, is cool. You know, because he, he does a random draw prize table. You know, like, you might, it might be the first time you ever show up, and you show up and, you know, win a new SIG pistol. Like, I think that's pretty cool. I think that kind of drives away like some of the people who shoot for money, but on the same token, if you win the car stutter, it's prestigious. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's not, and the sniper side cup is the same way, and so is the S three. Like those are three heavy hitting matches right there. That if you're going to win it, you better bring your A game. Yeah, and. and the stars better align and everything be in your favor because everybody else who's showing up, you know, they didn't like stay at home and well, text after, their girlfriend. After I bitched like, about, yeah, after I bitched about the prize table and I kind of stopped doing it, that's when I went to the cash and all the money that would have been sort of my cut of the deal goes mm-hmm. to that prize cash that you guys get. Mm-hmm. So I walk away with zero, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and, and it's just given back, but it's a bigger sort of like, it, it's a definitely reward. I mean, it's nice to get some money that way, but it's not, you know, I'm recognizing those top three people in each of the little segments, but at the same time, you know, I get it that there's not the prize table for everybody, but they're coming for the match. They're coming for the experience, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree completely. Cause like, so sniper side cup, Vallejo and, uh, his partner, I forget yeah, his Bo. name. Bo. Like, I like Vallejo a lot. He's he's one of my buddies. I met my fiance at his rifle match that I went to like last second. Like me and me and Vallejo get along pretty good, right? Mm-hmm. But I know he wants to beat me, and I want to beat him. You know, and it's it's that competitiveness there. Where it's like, look, Frank, I don't give a crap about what's on the prize table. I just want to beat the champ, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, that. that's, and to be honest, like, they could have, 
They came pretty close. They, they were super been. close, man. I mean, they, yeah. they, they, the first day, especially, I think they were right on your heels. The second day you got, you opened up a bit of a lead on them. Um, but it was really close for a while there. Well, yeah, no, it, it was close. Vallejo and, and, uh, Bo, they're good shots. I mean, they know what they're doing, you know, there ain't no mystery there. Right. Right. And, uh, not nah, good stuff. I, I like competing against those guys, you know, and, you know, Pinch and Vibbert showed up at the car setter and like, I was nervous. I was a little bit nervous, but you know, I don't, I don't, Nick probably wasn't nervous. I don't think he gets nervous. Nah, he doesn't uh, look like but, it. <laughs> no, but at the end of the day, you go, well, you know, you, you shoot the best you can shoot. And that's, that's just how it is. Like, you can't control how somebody else shoots. And I tell this to uh, my fiance, Andy, all the time. And I go, this is an individual sport. You know, you can't go out there and make somebody else shoot worse. You know, right. you can't do it. So as long as you go and you shot better today than you did yesterday, you're doing, you're doing better. You know, yeah, and although I did, worse, see, I did see it happen to be honest with you at rifles only a bunch of years ago. Uh, David Tubb showed up in the first day, that was when we had 100 point stages. He was mm-hmm. sick, he was 900 points of ahead of everybody. Mm-hmm. And George Gardner and Shannon Kay started messing with him behind his back, like, and was saying stuff. They got in his head where he started taking risks. And he ended up getting beat by he ended up getting beat by like a handgun target by Terry Cross. No. Yes, because they were they were like saying they were like I don't want to say intimidating him, but David Tubb is used to nobody really kind of interacting him with him during an event. Mm-hmm. And they were like doing things that made him think they knew something he didn't. Mm-hmm. And he started taking crazy risks and he started dropping points like he was bleeding points big time. And George and Shannon were doing it on purpose. And like he came up to me like I was the R.O. And, and at the time, R.O. or Rifles Only didn't have a lot of R.O.s on the stages, you know, so we were just like all working stages. And he's like, they're doing this. And they're I'm like, David, they're not doing that. They're messing with you, man. And, and they kept doing it, and sure enough, he was taking, like, silly risks. And Terry yeah. Cross ended up beating him by, like, a few handgun shots. Yeah. So I, you I can. I see that happen a lot in matches. Like, one thing that I don't like to do is watch other people shoot. And honestly, I like to shoot first if I can, because traditionally I shoot better when I shoot first. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't watch a bunch of other people shoot. And they do something and I go, ooh, that looks like a good idea. Maybe I should try that, you know? And and then I try it and I go, man, that didn't work out. That was a big mistake, you know? So, like, I find that even though maybe I don't shoot it the proper way or the best way to shoot a stage, I shoot it what is the best way for me to do it. Gotcha. Like, what is in my comfort zone. You know, like playing to my own strengths and weaknesses. It's the mental game again. You're coming right back around to that mental game. You're keeping your mind in check. You're you're staying focused for your plan, and you're not being swayed by the other guys. 
Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, people do that, especially at, like, club matches, you know, and we get, a, like, a bunch of us in the same squad, and then we start, like, messing with each other. And we're like, hey, you know, I bet you can't shoot that mover six times in one pass. And then they go, oh, yeah, and then ding, 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 miss, miss, miss. Yep. You know? And it's like, haha, got you, Nick. You know? But Nick is probably my biggest competition. And that's that that that's one of the best things about my friendship with him. It's not that like I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that think, oh well, you know, Nick like taught Adam how to do all these things and he's just Adam's Nick's protege. And it's like really I'm I'm not. Like the first rifle match I ever went to, I got second place at. And I would say if I'm anybody's protege, it's my father's, you know, and my grandfather's. There you go. Because because they were the ones who spent like hours upon hours upon hours shooting with me. You know, me and grandpa would like trim bushes for a while and then we go shoot guns and we trim bushes for a while and then we go shoot guns, you know? And he'd be like, Hey, see those tree branches up there. I don't want to climb up there and you're not climbing up there. So let's shoot them off. You know, like <laughs> get the 12 gauge out. And, and that, that was, you know, a big thing for me. Um, growing up was my father, and my grandfather. But when it came to shooting with Nick, Nick was someone who always pushed me to be better. You know, Nick, a lot of people don't know this, but Nick is like a huge supporter for the gun industry in Spokane. Like he took over a range that was on the verge of being shut down at like 200 yards only. And he turned it around and now it's a thousand yard range open to the public that anybody can come shoot and cost him a lot of money, a lot of time, but it was something that he loved doing, you know? And if you go up to Micah and ask people about Nick, like chances are they're going to say something good. Nice. But you know, like he, they're always helping people. He's always helping people. You know, there's, I can't tell you the, the amount of times I've seen somebody at a match where like their scope broke or their trigger broke and Nick's over there and he pulls like a, a loophole Mark five out of his backpack and slaps it on this guy's gun, you know, or pulls a brand new trigger tech trigger out and puts it in there. And he's like, there you go. You got what you need to keep going, you know, and then just. Like, oh, that's the way it should be, you know. It should be everybody because I mean, it, it's it's a it's a competition, but it's still a community. Yeah, you know, there's no reason that the guys get ugly like they do at times, and and you know, it gets hyper competitive. And I get the competition side of it in in that competitive nature, but at the same time, we're all supposed to be supporting the same community. And if you're really that competitive, let the guy finish it out and do his thing and beat him straight yeah. up. Like, I remember one time I shot against Regina, mm -hmm. and uh, she actually ended up shooting like crap. And, like, we were haggling back and forth, and, uh, like, people were betting money on us and this and that. And then, like, I shot with her. She was in my squad, you know. And I was watching her. She was struggling all day. She was sick. She was, like, coughing. She had snot coming out of her nose and, like. And she comes up to me at the end of the match and she's like, well, Adam, you beat me. And I was like, yeah, but I don't want to beat you on your worst day. 
I want to beat you on your best day. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and, and that comes back to, you can't control how other people shoot. And believe it or not, me and Nick have, you know, we're far from shooting the perfect match. Like we have yet to shoot a team match where we walk away from it, you know, and we look at it and we go, we did everything right on that match. Cause we don't No, you never do. No. And it's that constant struggle. Like this, this is one thing that I like about shooting that um, you can't do with hardly any other sport, maybe, per se, is that you can always get better. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's always something to learn. I tell people in the classes, this is a journey, and I'm still on that journey. You know, it never ends. There's always something new. You always can do better. You know, it's definitely a journey. Yeah. Cool, man. Hey, we're on like an hour and 15. I usually do like an hour. So uh, let's wrap it up. You got anything you need to plug? Anybody you need to thank, sponsor, anything like that? Um, But uh, yeah, we got we had a nice long conversation, man. I think this went off really well. Well, yeah, I think it was a good combo. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on. You know, I'd, I'd like to thank, you know, Jeff Huber for coming out to the Sniper Side Cup and putting on all them scopes for everybody to look at. That was that was pretty cool. A lot of people got to look through some expensive glass. Yeah, know? him and Nick are awesome. I like I, Jeff. I've been a fan of for a long time, and 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 Nick does a great job with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, I've known those guys for quite a while, and uh, and you know, Gibhart, he's a he's a good shot, and uh, I'm just waiting for him to come back into the game. He's been kind of taking some time off. When he gets back, you know, he's going to show back up and kick all of our butts. Um, I'm pretty sure on that, but no, I don't know. I just, you know, I shoot for defiance machine and, uh, benchmark barrels and KRG, you know, but I wouldn't say that, you know, they turned me into like who I am today. Like I worked really hard for it and I like to thank people who donate to prize tables and stuff. And they do a lot of that donate to the sports. Oh, big time for sure. That those the, all those companies are huge, huge supporters of this this the sport side of it. You know, they're they're definitely rocks in the industry. Yeah, and you know they say it's like sponsored shooter. Really, they're like my drug dealers, and they just really cost me a bunch of money. Is what really happens. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That's the best way to put it. <laughs> it's like the, uh, the they give you like a quantity discount after you spend. $20,000 at their company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go, man. You need an agent. You need a sports agent. No. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Don't forget to go into the Podbean app and comment or pop over to Sniper's Hide. Uh, Adam, stay on the line, and I'm going to end this right here. But thanks a lot for being part of the Everyday Sniper. It was a great conversation.